Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up now again to John chapter 15. One of the neatest chapters in the Bible about relating with other people, at least at this stage, as he's preparing his band of brothers to go out and communicate the message to a lost and dying world who themselves would be pushing against Christ. So if I could give this to you, I'd like to give you maybe four points that we'll get from this passage to describe what love would look like. What would be the characteristics of the kind of love that he is describing to these guys if we're going to love each other? The first one would be that it would be sacrificial. Follow along, if you will, in verse 12. This would be John chapter 15, verse 12 and verse 13. And as I read this to you, I want you to sense the attitude of being sacrificial when we want to love those irregular people in our life. Again, beginning at verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Well, that's the verse passage that we're looking at for this point, but I think it would be helpful for us to kind of pick apart some of these words to really bring about a greater impact. Notice in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. If you want to, you could write in your notes. This didn't say, this is my suggestion. This is my commandments. This isn't my druthers. This isn't my request. He says, this is my commandment. And when he speaks so eloquently and so definitively when he says this is my commandment that means we're to do it here it is when we feel like it we're to do it when we don't feel like it and we're to do it until we do feel like it because it's not based on feelings here it's based upon pure obedience so he says this is my commandment then he says that you and in the Greek that's you all that's where I get where he's not speaking to one person he's speaking to the group that's with him then he says love one another just as I have loved you you might take your pen and underline those two words just as because we're gonna talk a little bit about the concept of love and how God through Christ demonstrated that love because now he's saying if you need a model for loving another person he says you can use me as your model because it says I want you to love others one another just as I have loved you now when I read that I asked one of our uh, wonderful ladies here uh, Colleen and that works in our, our library upstairs if she would do a little research for me and I said would you go through John first John second John third John and Revelation why those five books those five books were written by John who wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted you to do me a favor and find for me how many times the word love in all of its different conjugations would be found. For I believe that Jesus referred in scripture at, to, to John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Other times it says John leaned on Jesus' bosom. Jesus taught modeled and mentored them in love. If any of the disciples got the concept of love, it had to be John. How many times do you think you'll find the concept of love, the word love, found in his writings, the five books? Ten times? Fifteen times? Twenty-five times? Fifty times? Seventy-five times? It's found 117 times. He owned that whole concept that God is love, it's found in Christ, and with that love, I receive that love, and now I need to love others. 
It's found 57 times in John, 46 times in 1 John, which I think is interesting because there's only five chapters, 46 times love is mentioned. 2 John, four times, that's only one chapter. 3 John, six times, that's only one chapter, six times in one chapter. And then last, Revelation is only four times. I said all of that to say this. If John got it by being around Jesus, that love is essential. I'm hoping that you and me, through our message today and reading of Scripture, that we too would embrace the essentiality of love, love for God first, and then love for our brothers and sisters, our neighbors second, that we will own this just like John did, and that more from us we would speak that language of love to other people, and that language of love is not only in words, but it's also in deed and in truth, as we'll soon find out. Well, let's talk a little bit about love. I've kind of given you a little list there so you can spend more time reading through it, but I want to kind of highlight some of those thoughts. The question is, is why is love so very important? The first one is, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, when you read that, some of you that are very new to understand this whole thing of law and love and how does that all fit together, why don't you hold your place in John and do me a favor and go to Romans chapter 13. And I'll show it to you in the scripture, but I'm going to make it as simple or like we have our radio program. I want to make it clear. In other words, if we knew the law and we obeyed the law, we still wouldn't be able to totally fulfill the law because we just can't. We're sinners. But if we flip doing the law into... I really love God and I really love you, that love and doing that love from the inside out, then we will find completing the law or fulfilling the law better done. Now let's look over here at Romans 13. If you will, follow along at verse 8. Here's what it says. Owe nothing to anyone. That's kind of interesting. It kind of reminds us the importance of being debt-free. But it really is much broader than that. He says, if you're going to owe someone, accept to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. In other words, if you really love your neighbor, you'll be fulfilling the law. For example, if I really loved my neighbor, I wouldn't be angry with him. I certainly wouldn't harm him or his possessions. I wouldn't kill him. If I really loved my neighbor or his wife... I would not have a morally impure thought. I would not do a morally impure deed. If I really love my neighbor, I would not tell them lies. I would not prevaricate. I would be telling them the truth. If I really love, and now you can take it all the way through the law. Now, that's in our neighbor. It might just need to begin, if you're a single, to the people you room with, to the people that are in your class, the people you work with. If you really love them, you'll be fulfilling the law properly. Those of you who are married, if you really love your mate, you won't be doing the things that will be morally impure. You will be faithful to your marital vows when you said forsaking all others for that person alone in sickness and in health till death do we part. In other words, the vows that you make will be easily fulfilled because it's motivated by genuine love. Stay in that same passage of Romans. It goes on and says that again in verse 9. It says, for this... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning if you do this, the others will come naturally. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So again, the Bible tells us that we need to love one another. And if you want to see a characteristic of that, it's going to be shown in the fulfillment of the law. So you love and all these other things become a much easier byproduct. The second is love characterizes true believers. Now you heard a moment ago how that John loved that word uh, love. <laughs> a little 
pun there, but he really loved that word love, and he would use it quite often. But I think it's also brought out, if you will, in 1 John 3.16. Look, if you will, there for a moment, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Because now you're going to see love is not something that is an emotional idea. It is not something that you um, kind of do if it's easy for you. This kind of love is far more sacrificial, and that's our point. It's a sacrificial love. Look, if you will, now at verse 16 of 1 John. He says, we know love by this. In other words, people are saying, okay, how would I define love? Will it be found in a love song? Will it be in a love movie? It'll be defined by this, that he laid down his life for us, referring to our model, which would be Christ. He did this for us. But he did more than just die. He took all of our sin on himself, and he paid our sin debt. And it says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for believers. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his heart, not just his checkbook, remember, that's the whole idea of fulfilling the law. It's a heart thing against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with just word or with tongue, but let's do it with deed and in truth. Let me share a practical way to demonstrate love in a church that you might attend and be a part of. You could show love this way. Let's say that church has a group of children in that church and the parents bring their children desiring that those children would be exposed to authentic Christianity, good Bible teaching, a time to express their worship, and also the ability to get along with one another and learn how to grow and to make some good godly friends. But yet, there may not be a teacher nearby or a teacher available or a teacher that comes and goes from one week to the next week and they don't really have the consistency. Well, how do you demonstrate love? Well, one way to do that is to say, I love the Lord, and I love the Lord because He also loves those kids. And I love those kids like He loves those kids, and they need a teacher. And Lord, I don't know how much I can do this, but I know that through you I can do these things, and I can learn. They're children, but you'll help me with that. I love you, and I love them, so I want to be trained. I want to volunteer to watch how it's done. And Maybe, Lord, you'll use me in some measure as a teacher. And I also love their parents because those parents are counting on someone else to help them. Some of them don't have what I have in knowledge of the Word. I'm not totally smart. I don't know everything, but I know a little bit more than those kids, maybe a little bit more than their parents. And so, Lord, I love the parents, and I want to help them. I also think about the staff who has to try to figure out every week who's going to be in the class, and I love those that are involved in the leadership of that department. And maybe they could use some help as well. And so I really love them. So it's not just saying I love you and we have fellowship and we eat together. No, it's we do something far more. Here it is. Here's the word. It's to sacrifice. And the reason we use that term, love, is sacrificial is because all the time you look at the life of Christ, it was one big life of sacrifice. When did it begin? I believe it began before he ever exited his mother's womb. If you recall, he went into Bethlehem, and when he went into Bethlehem, there were no rooms in the inn. Now, God is sovereign, and Jesus is still God and he could have chosen to have the last room, the least room, but he didn't even get that. He gave that up. Someone else slept, so to speak, in the bed in which he could have been born. So his whole life was for others, loving others, and letting them go first. Now, those of you that want to ramp up your quiet time with the Lord, do a study through the life of Christ and see how many times he gave up things for others that he did that for them. So that being said... If I'm really going to accurately define love, if I really love, then love should, here it is, cost me something. It should cost me my time. 
it should cost me some money. It might cost me some energy. It might cost me and fill in the blank. The point of the matter is, it's highly likely that it isn't love unless there's self-denial in some way so that someone else gets something that we give to them as unto the Lord. Now, how can we do that? Remember what we said as we began our message? If we abide in Christ, then all of our emotional and spiritual energy will come from Him. At the same time, He will resource us to do that which He's called us to do. I can't explain how. I can't explain when. All I can say is that I have complete confidence in the Word of God and the sovereignty of God that He will do that for us. So again, you can look through many different ways. But again, true love will cost us something. Let's go back to this list here. The next one it says, love is taught by God. When I went to uh, Bible college, I remember as I was looking over the courses that we were required to teach or to, to, to study or to take, and when I was in school, I looked at the list, and as I went over the list, I, I saw mm, systematic the theology taught by Dr. Richard A. Seymour, Bible doctrine taught by Dr. Mark G. Cameron, Evangelism, personal evangelism, taught by Dr. A. Ray Stanford. I started realizing as I went to school more, maybe some of you already got this faster than I did, but I realized that those people that taught those classes, it wasn't that during the summer they kind of just threw them out and you can pick out whatever you want. They chose the teachers who could teach the class that had the gift of teaching, but also had the credentials to teach that also were the, quote, experts in their field. Now, why am I telling you that? When it says that we are taught to love by God, there's no greater expert than God. And God teaches us all about love because He is love. Therefore, He can be the author of it. Therefore, He can become the source of it. Therefore, He can be one that will sustain it within us. So again, we go back to the Lord. So we're abiding in His love because He teaches us that love. Next it says here, love was modeled by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. If you will go to Romans chapter 5, this is a very important passage. I believe it's one of the key passages even in the book of Romans. Love was modeled by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now we've talked about love and another word would be self-denial and we brought that about Christ. But I want to bring out something a little bit more interesting in this passage to show you the object of his love. Verse 6, Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still helpless, that means we couldn't do it ourselves. We're like a drowning man in the ocean that needed help. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, meaning that there was a point in history that led up to the time that he went to the cross. It wasn't just an accident. He just didn't happen to be born. It was programmed ahead of time to fulfill prophecy according to Daniel. At the right time, at the right place, then in verse 7 it says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone will dare even to die. Basically that's synonymous. Whether it's righteous or good, people might die for that kind of a person. But verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, some translation says, while we were yet still in the act of sinning, it said Christ died for us. Then it says much more than Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now let's pause for a moment. In a few minutes, I'm going to get to the passage where he says, I don't call you slaves any longer, I call you friends. And it talks about how that great love, no greater love than someone would die for his friends. In this passage, it says someone might die for a good or a righteous person. Might, probably not, we don't really know. Jesus, 
He died for those who were sinners. Now, if you will, in your mind with me, think about you in a situation of war. And you're probably on this team, and you're just being barraged by all sorts of enemy weaponry that's coming against you. And you have a good friend. You might protect them in some measure. Be easier at least. You might do it for everybody, but it'd be easier because of your friend. I got my friend there. Parentheses. It very well could be. That's why the military works so hard at building a band of brothers. So in some measure, they are all friends. They all see each other's needs. They all value each other. Let's go a little bit further. And then it says maybe for a good man, someone might die. You know, these are good people. They have a great future. He could be a surgeon, a doctor, an attorney or something. So I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the bullet for them so they can go on and do great things. I'm just a, a nobody. We might do that. Here it says, while they're yet sinners. This is a person that is actively involved in demoralizing the human race. And generally sinners, whatever sin it is, it's all selfish. And that means that this person is like a parasite in society. When you tell a lie and when you steal and you do immorality, all of that is sucking the life out of society. That's sin. Jesus did that for that person. And we might really applaud that, but there's something that is even more significant that he di- than, than that he died for sinners. It's now found in verse 10. Look at this. It says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The operative word there are enemies. You know, we might die even for a sinner because he's a you know, lousy guy, but he doesn't deserve to die. I'll, I'll, I'll die in his place. I'll jump on the grenade for him. I don't care how bad he is. I, I, he doesn't deserve to die like that. I'll do that. But how many of you would sacrifice that which you hold the dearest to you to someone that you know that is speaking about you behind your back? One who is criticizing you, taking down your reputation, doing things to your children, all the enemy kind of illustrations that you possibly can come up with, I want you to think about that, and that's the very person that you're willing to go out of your way to do something loving to them. A word of encouragement. A note to tell them you're praying for them. You'll do a good deed to them. You will demonstrate some act of self-denial for your enemy. Now we're getting into the love deal. Now we're getting into love one another. And I hope that in the body of Christ that we don't have enemies of any kind because we are brothers and we are sisters because we all have the same father by the new birth <clears throat> so again back to the passage verse 11 kind of puts the icing on the cake and not only this not only are we saved by his life but not only this we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not only that we have our fire insurance because of what Jesus did for us when we were sinners and an enemy of God, but we now are saved and we get a chance to glorify the Lord through whom we now have received the reconciliation. We don't get saved when we die. We have it right now. So all of that is a sacrifice of the Lord. Let me take you to another one here, and that is um, a real pointed one, very unusual Remember it talked about Jesus Christ gave himself up because he was demonstrating love? Would you now go to Ephesians chapter 5? And all of you that are men here, whether you're husbands or you're single or you're young boys, young men that are here, I want you to look at this passage because this is something that you have to count the cost before you get into marriage. And if you're in marriage, I want you to know that this is one of the defining responsibilities that we have as a husband. So look at this in Ephesians chapter 5 and particularly if you will I want you to look here at verse 25 
It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Let's pause for a moment. Earlier this morning, we talked about how that we're to love one another just as Jesus Christ loved us. The other verse we read says, And that he died, he gave his life. Greater love than this can no man give. He did all that. Now, I want you to think of that's Christ's love. And now he tells me as a husband to my wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself, and I love it here, himself up for her, that's what we need to do. So husbands, this is a a great example of us obeying the Lord when he said, this is my commandment that you love one another, generally all believers, but specifically to the husbands, he even identifies it more clearly to tell us that we're to love our wives and just like he did and give ourselves up for her. It might be a real um, challenging conversation to have with your mate to sit down and say to her, honey, what can I do to lighten your load in any area? Housework? Church work? Parenting work? School work with the kids, homeschooling and otherwise? What can I do to do this? Now, guys, to do that, it goes back to what we've already learned, which is love is self-sacrifice. Here it says he gave himself up. So now you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to give up? That's between you and the Lord. But believe me, there will be things we need to give up. Now, when we give those things up, this is the beauty of the Lord. Whatever you give up here, you gain so much more later. Later could be that week. Later could be that month. Later could be when your kids graduate with high honors. Later could be at the judgment seat of Christ. I, I don't know. But you can never give up with God without Him giving you something back in return in His timing, in His way. And if you need an example, watch this. Why not give it up? He gave it all up for you and me so that we can have an eternal relationship with Him to start with. Do I hear an amen on that? And that's what it's all about, giving something up. And do it not kicking and screaming, but do it cheerfully. The last talks about love for one another reveals to the world our authentic faith, which means technically while the Lord is saying to them, remember to these 11 guys, I want you to love one another, sacrifice for one another, Because he knows that out there, they're going to be facing the world and they're going to need each other's love, their respectability. They're going to need to count on each other. They're going to need to learn from each other. They're going to need to fill each other, etc. But he also knows that this lost world over here, they're going to hear a message from these people. But the authenticity of that message is going to be borne out on the authenticity of their lifestyle. And so perhaps people don't listen to us and think that our message is authentic because our life is not authentic and he's preparing them for that by loving each other so they could work together as a band of brothers so as I look at this I would just maybe ask yourself in what areas do you need to demonstrate self-sacrifice as a person as a partner as a parent as a provider as a professional person as a protector if you're in that line What are you doing to add value to someone else because you love them and you're going to get all that love from him 
to strengthen you to love others. All right, that's the first one. I spent the most amount of time on that because if you have the foundation of that, these others will come a little bit more quickly and you'll understand them better. Number two, it's a love that obeys God. Notice what it says in verse 14 now. We're going back to John chapter 15, verse 14. He goes on to say, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's interesting because uh, there's a lot, not a lot of times in Scripture that someone is ever referred to as a friend of the Lord. But he says, you are my friends if you do these things. Maybe I could bring this into a more realistic view for you by saying this. When you have healthy communication with one another, I mean a real sharing and you're listening and you're talking and things are going real well, that generally happens because you respect the other person. And the reason you respect that other person is because you trust that other person. And when you trust and respect, you have good communication. And watch this. That, uh, those three in itself are the wonderful ingredients of friendship. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.